0: Hello, and welcome to the third episode of the Fire, Pain, and Ruin, a Rutherford Manor novel audiobook series. We are on episode three, covering chapters five and six. Now, before we get started, I will give you a summary, but I also wanted to say that uh, today of this recording, February 18th, 2021, my short story collection is now out. It's on all the ebook distributors Amazon, Kobo, Google Play, Apple Books. It is called Into the Macrocosm with a subtitle Short Stories of the Dark Cosmic, Bizarre, and the Fantastic. It's a collection of stories I've written over the years, found on my blog, with um, an overarching storyline with a returning character from my Mental Damnation series. And it kind of ties everything together into one giant macrocosm. So, check it out. Um, You can find on my website, there's links all on the podcast, depending on where you are viewing this. But let's jump back into Fire, Pain, and Ruin. So in episode two, we covered chapters three and four. Now, what's been going on with the Rutherford family is in chapter three, we looked at Knox and his laboratory for the first time. We got introduced to him and his uh, slurred speech through his scarred face, which we learn a little bit about in this episode. And uh, his contract gets signed with the government man, Mr. Sewell. And uh, he's pretty creepy, this guy. And uh, Knox is ecstatic about having his contract renewed. Then in chapter four, we follow Spalding living about his normal life, really excited about things going A-OK goes to the butcher shop where he works and owns and uh, goes about his business, talks to his friend Jacob, uh, who sold him the land, and then uh, Sheriff uh, Jensen, who said there isn't much trouble going on right now in Rowley, which is good for them. And uh, Spaulding also uh, knew Billy was tense for his upcoming wedding, so uh, him and Jacob ultimately suggests that uh, they should go to Fight Club, like old times, which is something they used to do before they grew up and became mature. But that is where we left off. So let's jump into chapters 5 and 6 and see what happens to the residents of Rutherford Manor. Chapter 5 Ghosts of Love The Glory of the Ring The Cheering of the Crowd increasing adrenaline, the sweat, focus. These were the joys of going one-on-one in the ring. Each had equal chances of winning. Fight Club came down to skill. Spalding was no large man, and he knew how to maneuver because of it. Clenching his fists tighter, Spalding felt the texture of his skin. That was the adrenaline. All his senses were heightened. He was aware of the opponent in front of him Fists up. The crowd. Spaulding could see every face, their eyes on the fight. Some cheering, others watching with anticipation. The smell of booze and sweat. The sounds of nearby fists meeting flesh in other rings. The best perks of Fight Club were here. Now. Spaulding stared at the opponent. The man was a little bigger in height and size. He wore no shirt. His stomach lay over his belt so much for evenly matched. Spaulding would have to be agile with this man. The tub might not be able to move far, but a single hit from him would be devastating. This is where strategy came into play, another fun feature of Fight Club. His opponent rushed forward, coiling his fist back, ready to take a swing. Spaulding dodged, barely missing the attack. He stepped to the side and kicked the man's shins, followed by a punch to the ribs, The man's rib cage was covered in a layer of fat, but the blow hit bone. Spaulding knew it. The man wheezed in pain as he swung wide, missing. Spaulding ducked, leaning back while gathering his step. He almost lost his balance. The excitement of the fight was getting to him to act aggressively. It wasn't his style. Spaulding was a defensive fighter, holding back and striking when his opponents opened their weak spot. The tub turned to face Spaulding and threw another fist, followed by an uppercut. Both attacks missed. Spaulding saw an opportunity and swung his coiled hand into the man's chest. He felt the full force of the man's weight rattle through his arm as his hand collided directly with the chest. That would hurt the next day. His opponent tumbled back, arms wide. Spaulding struck again. His fist plunged into the man's jaw, throwing him onto the ground with a thud. Dust rose in the air obscuring him and his opponent from the crowd's view. The audience cheered with excitement. Spaulding remained still, watching to see if his opponent would get up. There was no telling if the man would be reborn with a spark of rage. Nothing, only panting. The tub patted his hand on the ground several times, tapped out. Spaulding was victorious. Good fight, Spaulding said while reaching his hand out for the man. The tub shook his head and got to his feet on his own. You threw a cheap blow, the man said. I won fair. You just got a little bullheaded, Spalding said, pulling his hand back. The man mumbled something. Spalding couldn't hear. He didn't care. The tub was probably punch drunk. He was a poor fighter too. Spalding knew he'd won in a fair fight. The tub was just aggressive and didn't know how to take a defensive stance. Spaulding exited through the crowd to find where the match dealer was. He wanted to collect his bet so he could get something to drink. The man wasn't hard to find. He, too, was a large, bald man. It was the same organizer who kept most of the fights going in Rowley. "'Lollapalooza!' came the organizer's voice. "'Thanks, Tim,' Spaulding said while buttoning up his shirt. "'As always, here's your collection.' Tim said while passing a handful of dollar coins to him. Perfect, Spaulding said. Just enough to quench my thirst. That be true. Folks don't bet like they used to, eh? Tim said. Aye, not quite. Rowley isn't loaded, town. Thanks again, Spaulding said, moving through the crowd to the back of the room where the bar was. Bravo, came Jacob's familiar voice. Spaulding spotted the mustached man leaning against the bar with his own drink. He walked up next to Jacob and leaned against the counter. The bartender noticed. Spaulding ordered a pint of beer, placing the coins on the bar. You sure gave that bloke a run for his money, Jacob said. Yeah, he was too egotistical. You can't rush into a fight like that, Spaulding said. That all you got? Jacob said, pointing at the small pile of coins. Yep. Yep. Spaulding said, stuffing the rest of the scratch into his pocket. The bartender returned. Drink in hand, Spaulding extended the glass to Jacob. The glasses clanked and the two men drank. People really just come here for the entertainment now. Don't see any value of fighting. Jacob said, it's just the times we live in. Rowley needs some sort of miracle to pull it into the modern world. I suppose. Have you been to Chicago recently? Spaulding asked Yes, sir Work takes me all around Illinois Raleigh isn't anything special, that's for sure But it is home Jacob raised his glass Extending it towards the crowd Plus, it's fairly easy to keep the fight clubs underground here Sheriff Jensen has his hands full all the time Not quite Oh? He came into the shop today Said that things were pretty quiet Hopefully he doesn't come in and shut the whole place down Spaulding said Guess we need to give him a brawl then, hey? Jacob laughed. Say, how about we get into a match? Right now? I just ordered a drink, you simp, Spalding said. What? You nervous? I've learned a few moves, and I think I could take you on now, Jacob smirked. That I'd like to see, Spalding said, taking a sip of his drink. So humble. I'd hate to see what your kids will end up like. You're just full of assaults tonight, aren't you? Hey- If I can't get them in the ring with you, I'll just use words. You are good with those. Maybe spend less time talking than you could actually throw a punch. That's the kind of banter I like, Jacob said. His attention shifted towards a large, lumbering man who approached them. Billy. You finally made it, Jacob said. Yes, Billy said. Work had me late. You guys are dedicated to that shop, Jacob said. It is a damn fine meet. Knox, Spaulding thought, losing interest in the conversation. It seemed like small talk or maybe the mentioning of meat had brought his mind into a new direction. Spaulding had big picture questions, like the disturbing practices of his business partner. Spaulding knew damn well that Billy was not working at the butcher shop after they closed up. That meant Billy was most likely on the hunt for some poor soul to turn into Knox's new lab pet an experiment for the government, some land of the free. It's good to be back, Spaulding said, trying to shrug his thoughts aside. I think Penny's pregnancy had me a little stressed. He watched the crowd, noting that it was a little thinner than usual. Maybe the folks of Rowley were losing interest in Fight Club. Perhaps it was just a quiet night. Either way, there never seemed to be any goons in white suits anymore. The White Hand knew to stay away. Those Irish mobsters had stayed clear of Rowley since that fateful night. Spalding remembered all too well the moment when Knox inflicted his vengeance for his father's death on Niles. Spalding wondered what Brandon, the head mobster, thought of Niles' death. Perhaps Irene had never told him, or maybe she did. She was a wild card. That girl, Spalding thought. He'd let her escape that night. She would have surely followed Niall's horrific fate if Spaulding had not freed her. Knox was on a rampage. Billy was neutral. Spaulding was the only one who offered rationality in the situation. He spared that beautiful girl. The exact girl that ran his heart around in circles before crushing it. Irene was real. She didn't trot around or make excuses. She got shit done. Her unconventional ways of acting and thinking were what made her so attractive. Never had Spalding run into a woman quite like her. He questioned if he ever would. Foolish thoughts. He was married. Even back then, what was he thinking? Falling in love with the daughter of the boss of a gang was foolish and wild. Irene was exactly that. They were two flames that burned brighter together. Destructive. Destructive. Spalding's life with Penny made so much more sense. She was a flesher, and she knew about his past. Irene didn't know a thing about him, just as he didn't know who she really was. Irene only saw a fraction of it when Knox executed Niles. Good riddance. I keep telling you, Jacob said. It's more a reason to come to Fight Club. Right, I don't fight enough, Spalding thought, realizing he was drifting into the past for no good reason. I made it, Billy said. I'm the one who's about to get married. See, Jacob said. Even Billy made it. And he's about to make a lifelong commitment. That's true, Spalding said while taking a big gulp of his drink. Nothing like liquor to drown out thoughts. He didn't need ghosts coming back in, reminding him of his previous life. He found it bizarre. Even after all this time, he still had difficulties forgetting about the resurrectionist era of his life and that redhead named Irene. A passionate affair, gangs, and the loss of a dear friend, Alistair. Oddly enough, during that dark era, he did meet his wife, Penny, and his loyal friend Billy. Spalding was unsure what he would have done if Billy had not come to Rutherford Manor at such a critical time. With Alistair's death and Knox still a boy, Spaulding would have had to figure out how to manage the manor on his own. "'Think you'll snag a fight tonight, Billy?' Jacob asked. "'Unlikely. I think it's best if I simply watch until I get married,' Billy said. "'Wise choice. You'll want to look dashing for the photographs,' Jacob said. "'No photograph. Too expensive,' Billy said. "'Understandable. They're costly.' If you can ever afford it, let me know. I can arrange one for you, Jacob said. Is there a trade where you don't have someone to recommend? Spaulding said with a smirk. Eh, there's a few, Jacob shrugged. We can't keep stationary with business, otherwise you'll get stale. Keep it fresh. I can't argue with that, Spaulding said while glaring at Billy. Billy didn't seem to notice his stare. The man was most likely thinking about his upcoming wedding. Spaulding had attempted an oblique reference about Billy's involvement with Knox and the government contract, but the moment was lost. Billy wanted kids. Knox's experimentation was disturbing. It made Spaulding concerned about his daughter's safety. The solution that Knox had invented was powerful. Spaulding saw it firsthand when the boy had injected it into Niles, numbing him. Knox was young then, hungry. He had yet to reach his full potential. Whoever the government man was knew that. Spaulding admired how the boy had grown into a man who provided for his family. He had become a man. Spaulding knew it was time to have a chat with Knox about the future of Rutherford Manor. It was time to put the thoughts of the past lovers and distant memories aside. Spaulding had to act in the present. It was for the better of himself and the future of his daughters. Chapter six Family Business Family is above all. This was one common rule amongst the residents of Rutherford Manor. Whether you were a Flesher, a savage, or of another family line, once you were in the manor, you were family. It was a simple concept, but one that was difficult to execute. Not everyone shared the same beliefs or stance. Others suffered from their own desires. Spaulding was one to know. For years, he was obsessed with getting the next catch. Whether that meant the next Resurrectionist gig, cash, or women, Spaulding didn't care. He didn't want to meet Knox right away after his realization at Fight Club. He had to gather his thoughts and took a week to contemplate the topic. He wondered if perhaps he'd been too harsh on Knox and Billy. They were going through trials that he understood, of course. Spalding was able to have self-control, Knox, on the other hand, was embracing his fascination with the dead, and Billy's aspirations were hard to pin down. Billy was deeply troubled by his past, then again, everyone at Rutherford Manor seemed to be. Knox was sensitive, despite his efforts to have thick skin like his father. Spaulding had to be careful what he said and when he said it. It was difficult not remembering Knox as the boy with the funny slur and an inept way of socializing. Perhaps a drink was what the two of them needed to discuss the future of Rutherford Manor. Maybe Spaulding could convince him to end this government madness. A good father wouldn't let his two girls grow up with a great uncle who dissected people in their basement, even if the twins were of the flesh or bloodline. Spaulding grabbed a pair of glasses from the liquor cabinet along with a bottle of whiskey. He exited the dining room, moving through the hall, and towards the staircase leading to the basement. The door was closed. The light vanished quickly, leaving the basement shrouded in darkness. Knox always had a way of keeping things unsettling. It wouldn't hurt to leave some lights on, Spalding had thought. Regardless, he descended the crooked, creaking staircase leading to the bottom and pushed the door open with his elbow. He walked into the darkness, following the dim light. The temperature was cool, air stale. Smell, rotten. This was expected for Knox's mad laboratory, as Spalding liked to call it. His footsteps echoed against the stone walls as he walked into the room emanating a light. An operating table was in the center with a body on it. No surprise, the body was strapped down feet twitching, whoever was on the table was still alive. The far corner of the room had a desk with scattered pieces of paper, illustrations of organs, corpses, done in charcoal, and bookshelves. Knox was always a fine illustrator, recording his discoveries in intricate detail. The other side of the room had a second table where the head of the Flesher family himself stood with a bunch of vials and glass jars. Liquid filled several of them, varying in color and consistency. Knox was hunched over whatever project he was working on just as he'd done when he was a kid. Spalding clanked the empty glasses together to get the man's attention. The sound caused Knox to jump, and he spun around, revealing a horrific steel mask complete with goggles strapped to his face. His apron was covered in blood and his gloves were equally grotesque. Evening. Spaulding said, approaching the man. That's a nasty mask, he thought. Knox stood upright while chucking the syringe he held onto the table. He lifted his mask off with the other hand, revealing his half-scarred face. Shaking his head, he said, You shouldn't sneak up on a man in the middle of his work. Spaulding shrugged. I was as gentle as I could be. He walked up to the operating table, examining the person, or experiment, on the table. This was a young man, skin stretched out and tied around the sides of the operating table. The man's exposed lungs breathed in and out at a steady pace. His eyes and lips were closed shut, as if he were completely unaware of the distorted form that he had become. This was the kind of thing that young Spaulding would have brushed off. He would have brought out his old cane named Pierre and embraced the process of death. Father Spaulding, not so much. Do you like it? Knox asked. Like it? Spaulding asked. Seeing a fate worse than death does bring flashbacks to our former life. One of strange rituals and the dead friends, Spaulding thought, thinking back to his childhood friend Pierre, his first kill. An accident. Manslaughter, then a ritual. I would think so. You and my father were much cleaner, though. Our purposes are different, Knox said while walking towards Spaulding. Spaulding raised the glasses and his eyebrow. Knox shook his head. Thank you, but no, I have a lot of work to do and do not need my mind tinkered with. Drinks for one, Spalding thought. He placed the glasses on the surgical tray beside the table and grabbed the bottle that was tucked under his arm. Suit yourself. Mind if I do? Not at all, Knox said, putting his hands beside his back. You never come to visit me in my study. This is quite the surprise. Spaulding popped the cork and poured himself a glass of whiskey. I've had my share of death and gore. It all starts to blur after a while. He gently placed the bottle down. The noise caught the attention of the man on the operating table. His bloodshot eyes flicked open, locked directly on Spaulding. The man didn't blink. Spaulding stared at him. This man was conscious, probably doped up from one of Knox's syringes of the unnatural. You're quite the observer, Spaulding, Knox said. This is something I am witnessing myself. As complex as we are experiencing the human condition, We all made up from the same building blocks. Knox moved to the man on the operating table, gently caressing his hair. The same blood, the same bones, the same organs, slight variations in size, but regardless we are all the same, yet are very different in the way we talk, dress, and behave why is that oh boy Spaulding thought while taking a sip of his whiskey at least the liquor could chase down the ridiculous philosophical conversation that Knox liked to have Spaulding wanted to get down to business he couldn't just jump right into things with Knox he had to steer him into it I suppose so what are you doing here with this person anyways Spaulding asked is he anyone we should be concerned about? Not that I'm aware of. I put my trust in Billy to scope out candidates. Once they're here, they're simply part of the process. And what process might that be? Spaulding asked. Why, the government contract, as I'm sure you know, Knox said. Again, I haven't seen much of you. Try leaving the basement, Spalding thought. Only in passing. You must accept my apologies. With Penny giving birth uh, to the twins, I have been incredibly distracted. Do not apologize. You are fulfilling your natural role in nature. Just a father. The way he talks, Spalding thought. He didn't want to get annoyed. It would be counterproductive. Knox's choice of words was exactly the same as they were when he was a kid. The man was socially inept. Insulting, one could say. But Spalding knew he didn't have cruel intentions. Knox walked around the operating table to Spalding. He extended his hand to the open organs. This is an expansion of the syringe... The dope that you and my father used during the resurrection business. I can see that, Spalding said. You've come quite a ways with it. I have made various strands of it now. Each strand opens up a new door of opportunities. A constant state of discovery. To think you made it up as a kid... "'Amazing,' Spaulding said. "'I was reckless. It cost me,' Nox said, clearly referencing the mangled side of his face. "'We all make mistakes when we're kids, just not all of us with acid.' "'No,' Nox said. "'Not everyone seeks revenge for their father, or has to. I should have listened to you and Billy.' Now we're getting somewhere, Spaulding thought. I am proud that it is able to avenge my father's death and now provide for Rutherford Manor. However, in the back of my mind, I can't help but think about that woman that escaped. Irene, Spaulding thought. You think she babbled? She could have told the White Hand about what I have created. I used the syringe right in front of her. Knox's eyes widened, staring blankly at the floor. I doubt it, Spalding said. If she did, we would have heard from them by now. That was some years ago. I s- suppose you're right. The past still haunts me. You and me both, Spaulding said, raising his drink. So, how has all this evolved since then? Spalding walked away from the operating table, moving towards the desk of papers and illustrations. He had seen enough gore for one day. I know the contract was renewed for another project with the government man. What's his name again? Mr. Sewell, Knox said. His department was pleased with the results that were given the last time. Temporarily reduces pain. A simplified version of the dope, Spalding asked. That's correct, it was a tease. I hoped they would take the bait and they did. They have given me funding to work on an expanded version Spaulding took a sip of his drink and stepped towards the desk. Stacks of illustrations and notes covered the surface. Knox had been busy. Charcoal sticks sat next to a quill dipped into an ink bottle. Beside the bottle was a metal emblem of a skull with bat wings. The insignia was directly over top of a letter written on a typewriter. Spaulding leaned in closer to inspect the emblem. A hand went onto Spaulding's shoulder. The sudden touch surprised him. Knox never touched anyone Come, Knox said while guiding Spalding away from the desk I understand that we have our slight differences, Spalding Of course, but we always find common ground Spalding said A man of mystery, he thought Everything in this study or torture room was shrouded in secrecy Knox liked to keep things that way Sensitive people often did ''We do. You are so adamant on the butcher shop when my father was alive and even after his death. Are you happy with it?'' Knox asked. ''I am, but I'm not a fool. I know the income primarily comes from what you're doing.'' Knox said nothing. He only watched Spaulding, waiting for what he had to say next. ''I have two daughters, Knox.'' Spaulding said. He knew he had his partner's attention. Now he could get to the point. I opened up the butcher shop to get away from a life of shadows and eventually settled down for good. I know and have you not? Knox asked. Yes, sir, Spaulding said. But these little girls have a great uncle who is dissecting people in their basement. How will Penny and I explain this? "'They're fleshers, Spaulding. Savages, too. They will become accustomed.'" Spaulding thought for a moment about Knox's words. Spaulding had already come to this conclusion. The two families had been intertwined for so long that it only seemed natural that Spaulding would marry a flesher. His daughters would most likely follow the same course of the left-handed path. Spaulding wasn't fond of the idea but history had a funny way of repeating itself. What is the government contract? Spaulding asked. I can see it involves some more bodies. Same rules before, no questions asked if anyone catches even a hint of what we do. Mr. Sewell will take care of them. Spalding walked up to the man on the operating table again, who did not take his gaze off him. What is it that you're doing? Soldiers. Knox joined him at the table. At least that is the first step. Project one. Mr. Sewell says there's an end game, Which is? Immortality. Dancing with the heavens now, are we? Spalding said, "It pays well. The, the end game is an aggressive goal. Think you can do it? Synthesize immortality? If it's my life's work, then it will be worth it." Mr. Sewell says, "Deadlines are not a concern." Knox paused, cupping his hands together. Leshers and savages work side by side. This work will keep us from what you and my father were forced to do. Cannibalism, Spalding thought, remembering the taste of human flesh. The meat was surprisingly easy to swallow, an almost familiar flavor. The psychological side of eating people, however, was not. Never again would Spaulding resort back to such acts. It was the darkest depths he and Alistair had gone to so the younglings at Rutherford Manor could eat the remaining real food they had. Spaulding watched the man on the table. He was not afraid. Knox was well on his way to achieving the goal set by his contract. As dark as the project was, it offered sustainability and money. Not like the butcher shop, Scratch. These were two things that Spalding couldn't quite do. His children would be protected. His family had income. I want you to trust that I am doing what's best, Spalding, Knox said. This is the best option. You don't have to be a part of it. Your girls don't have to be a part of it. What about when they're older? They'll piece things together. We'll be careful, Knox said. Lilith is working on the smell. Billy's discreet with the bodies. I clean up before going upstairs. The door will remain locked. Knox was right. Spalding didn't have to be a part of this inhumane experimentation. Billy chose to. The man was convinced he needed to feed his darkness. Spaulding also didn't have to expose his daughters to this. This was the best option, despite his moral compass telling him that Knox's contract was insane. It wasn't like anyone else in Rolay had money. Spaulding didn't have any higher education either. He hadn't expected their conversation to go this direction. Seeing what Knox was doing and hearing the details of the contract? Spaulding could not deny that the certainty was irresistible. Letting this continue would allow Spaulding's family to be safe. Family came first. Oh, it looks like uh, Knox and Spaulding are getting back on the same page and working together. Spaulding just can't escape his dark past no matter what he does. Somehow he's always pulled back in, marrying a flesher, agreeing to get back into. Letting creepy stuff happen in the basement where his family's growing up, the guy's got problems. Um, I guess we'll find out what happens to him next in uh, episode four, where we cover chapters seven and eight. Now I'll catch you next week. If you enjoyed this, share with your friends. Please do check out the Into the Macrocosm short story collection. I am ecstatic to get this thing out and uh, share with you all as part of the growing macrocosm. So let's. Uh, Continue with Rutherford Manor in episode four. Take care.